three. You're listening to Sports Talk Chicago with your host, John Zaglul. John, I am fantastic. Thank you for having me. You got an awesome voice, man, and that was a terrific <laughs> intro. You're like a pro's pro. You know, that was the first time somebody ever said that, John. No, you're the first person to ever say anything like that. That's, that's very interesting. You got it, John. Anything for a fellow Chicago guy? <laughs> well, what a great question. That's a great question. Nobody's actually asked me that. <laughs> I like it. What a great question. I never heard that before. Chase, wait, wait, Chase Sully is what? You're saying he's not a Hall of Fame candidate? You know, it's it's funny. I, I, You may be the only person that I've heard make that connection. Thank you, John, for having me. I'm doing great. By the way, you have an outstanding voice. I'm not sure about your face because I haven't met you, but your voice is great. You're doing a much better job than I ever did. You've had some heavy hitters uh, guests on too, man, so keep up the good work, but it's good to be with you, and I'm ready to talk sports. Hello, everybody, and welcome into Sports on Chicago. My name's John Zaglou, great to have you here. Today's edition of the program, we're going to completely preview the White Sox season, what to expect for them come this year, and that comes up in just a second. Plus, a brand new interview today with KC Johnson, the Bulls insider at NBC Sports Chicago. We talked with him extensively about the Bulls, their season, what to expect for them come the playoffs. It's a great interview, and it comes your way near the midway point of this show. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook. John's a glue. Gonna watch more of this show. Search up Sports Talk Chicago. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, SportsTalkChicago.com. I want to start today. With this. this is year two of the White Sox completed rebuild. It always takes time, too. Everybody last year so impatient, right? We heard about this all season. Why aren't the White Sox better? Why are they losing? Why they lose down the stretch? It's Tony LaRusso's fault, too. Remember this time and time again, fans blamed LaRusso, fans blamed everybody but the players for the collapse that they had at the end of the year. Injuries played a role, too, but the fact was, last year's White Sox team made a lot of progress. Think about it. First year, besides COVID, of this whole core together, won the division, played the Astros somewhat top in the ALDS, and lost. So be it. No matter what anybody else wants to say, the fact is, last year, was not a failure for the White Sox. It was a learning experience. Think about the Cubs in 2015. You know, the Cubs' Pakota projection in 2015 was 83-79. and 79. They won 97 games. They won the wild card game. They won the NLDS, made it all the way to the NLCS, and lost. Maybe the White Sox didn't have that much success last year, per se, but we all knew especially by the midpoint of last year, they were not winning the World Series yet. There were still problems, mainly injuries and a bad trade for Craig Kimbrell, which we'll talk about in a second, too. When you don't have Aloy Jimenez, when you don't have Luis Robert, when other stars are injured, Lance Lynn, Carlos Rodon, of course you're not going to make it far. Of course you're going to have problems. Nobody played, really, a full 162. Everybody got hurt at some point last year. Tim Anderson, too, was hurt like 10 times. He was on the IL 10 different times and reactivated and then put back on it. 
there were way too many injuries for the White Sox last year. Now, this year could be the same story, and in fact, it kind of is already in spring training. You know what? The good teams overcome the injuries, and that's going to be the real test for the White Sox this year. I think on paper, when you look at this team, they have the talent to win everything. They have the talent to produce. Think about their roster. Jimenez, Robert. Robert especially with 30 home run potential, 100 RBI potential, and a 300 batting average. They got rid of Craig Kimbrell. No more having to worry about that. They picked up instead A.J. Pollock, who could play right field. That was the one big need that they had last year. I talked about that weekly when it came to the White Sox. I liked the Adam Eaton move, but obviously it didn't work, and he did not perform, and he turned out to be another clubhouse cancer. So they got rid of him. A.J. Pollock? Known commodity. Everybody knows who A.J. Pollock is, and everybody knows his track record in baseball. He's posted one season with an OPS under 800. One. So he's pretty much guaranteeing you an OPS of 800 or more, which means at least 300 and 500 or 400 and 400 when it comes to on-base and slugging. Bye-bye me. Former All-Star, former MVP candidate back in Arizona, maybe not anymore, but a very good role player. Who knows how to hit the baseball? Last year, an 880 OPS. Very good. That's near superstar level and limited at-bats with the Dodgers, platooning out right, left, and center. And to trade Craig Kimbrell, who I think is more of a liability than an asset, is perfect for Pollock. Everybody technically got what they needed, and I think even right now, the Sox won the trade easily. For some reason, Craig Kimbrell has not been the same since Boston, because we all remember with the Cubs what he did. He did nothing, except for last year, when it really didn't matter. Where was he when the Cubs needed him in 2019, 2020? Nowhere to be found. Or when he was in, when he was somewhere to be found, you didn't want him in. <laughs> 6 ERA, giving up home runs. That big Cubs collapse in 2019, part of it rests on his shoulders for what he did. His performance. Remember that home run he gave up to the Cardinals? What a joke. A grand slam in the ninth inning. I mean, ridiculous things. Things you wouldn't expect or you can't even fathom. He did in the wrong way. So for the Sox to get rid of him and his salary for A.J. Pollock, it's pretty much a wash when it comes to money. Pollock's owed $10 million now plus a $5 million buyout. Great move. And Pollock, contrary to Kimbrell, has more of a track record recently. Frank Kimbrell has not been good since 2017. I mean, really good, elite. And then part of last year. Half of last year and 2017 and all his time before that. A.J. Pollock, you know what you're getting. And that's a huge move for the White Sox in right field. I really can't emphasize that one enough. Still Liam Hendricks in the bullpen, who started off rough last year, but he calmed down and he did exactly what he was supposed to do. To his credit, he's living up to his contract. The Sox paying him big money, and he's performing like a big money closer. His money grand dog catching. Abreu's going to be at first, and Josh Harrison at second base with Leori Garcia. Platoon. Great. Love it. For those who don't know who Josh Harrison is, look him up. Definitely a team culture guy, but even more than that, former All-Star. One of the best players for the Pirates, actually, after Andrew McCutcheon when he left. Josh Harrison's big problem in recent years has always been his bat. He's a versatile player, can play many different positions, second, third, first, and the outfield as well. He's done all that before. It's just been the bat. When he hit well, he's an elite player. He was an all-star. 
hitting 270, 280, 14 home runs, 60 RBIs. I'd love that out of a second baseman. If he could somehow rekindle that power and rekindle that run-producing ability at second base for the White Sox, my goodness, they're set. That was a one-year deal, too. That's a flyer. So if Harrison works, you get a discount. If he doesn't, well, you have Leori Garcia. You have other guys you could plug and play at second base. Third base, Yohan Moncada. I've always been back and forth on him, but he proved a lot in 2019, and so far we haven't really seen that too much replicated. I'd love to see it this year. I'd love to see him go off, too. Moncada was a top prospect at one point in Boston. When they traded him, I thought, okay, we got a problem here. And why are the White Sox wanting him? Why would Boston get rid of a top prospect like that? But he's proven himself at times for the White Sox, Moncada. Just not all the time. And, of course, Tim Anderson at shortstop. I love Tim Anderson. And he's turned into the best shortstop in Chicago. And that's not because Javi Baez is gone. Hear me out on this. Tim Anderson hits above 300 pretty much all the time. Maybe the power numbers are down a bit. But I'll take 300, 11, 12 home runs, 50 RBIs, and his culture. There was always a debate for many years between Cubs and Sox fans. Oh, who's better, Baez or Anderson? Last season, Anderson was the better shortstop. You know why? Doesn't strike out. Doesn't make stupid decisions at the plate and hit 230. Javier Baez last year was on pace to have 200 strikeouts and 50 walks. 60 walks. That is horrible. How are you even in baseball with that pace and those numbers? Should have been demoted at that point. Go learn how to hit AAA again. <laughs> Tim Anderson, to his credit, very patient. Does not walk too much, but also... Always makes contact, never strikes out. I love players like that. That's why I love Nick Madrigal for the Cubs. Always makes contact, never strikes out, doesn't walk too much, but I'll take that. Maybe that's old school. Maybe it's different for me, but you know what? I don't mind guys making contact. You're supposed to hit the ball. You're not supposed to go up to the plate and look for a walk, and it seems like today we have people encouraging it. Doesn't make sense to me. I get it being on base. I get it, you know, boosting the on-base percentage. But you know what? If you strike out a lot or if you're looking for a walk and you're not being aggressive at the plate, what good is that going to do you? See, that's an individual statistic, a walk. It only helps out the individual. Rarely does a walk help a team. Does a walk drive in a base runner? No, not unless the bases are loaded. Does a walk move guys over on the bases? Again, not unless somebody else is on base. A walk does not do as much as a hit for your team. In my opinion, it doesn't. So I love Tim Anderson's approach at the plate, and he plays good defense, too. And in the outfield, Aloysio Jimenez, Luis Robert, A.J. Pollock, who we talked about, and then the D.H. too, Gavin Sheets, and a number of other guys could rotate in. This is a very solid lineup. One through nine, one of the best lineups in baseball, dare I say. And that's a fact. I mean, I could show numbers to prove that. Some of that is potential and embellishment. But you know what? If all these guys could live up to their projection, their potential, if there are no injuries, this team's going to be great. So that's not something to worry about if you're a Sox fan. The rotation, not really either, depending on injuries. That's going to be the key. Lucas Giolito, Lance Lynn, Dylan Cease, Michael Kopech, Dallas Keuchel. Wow. Great rotation. Five solid pitchers. But again, injuries. Lance Lynn got hurt a little bit. And on the bullpen, Garrett Crochet got hurt. So these are things you have to worry about. Here are the White Sox. I think the one thing 
that will derail the Sox from World Series or at least advancing the playoffs are injuries. That may be true for every team, but especially for them looking at last year and now looking at this year in spring training. This is a team that gets injured too much. Plain and simple. Way too much. And if they want to be good, if they want to get to where they think they can, they can't be injured like this all the time. It's bad luck, but it's true. I don't want to say that injuries will be their Achilles heel. That's true for every team, but specifically for this team, yes. And the problem with that is all these guys perform. I'd love to sit here and tell you, hey, the problem could be, yeah, I don't know if they're going to perform. No, no, no. Everybody has performed. But the problem is, can they stay healthy? Can they stay healthy? This is a glass team. I saw on Twitter somebody saying, oh, this is a glass baseball team. It kind of is. Last year, injuries, big problem. This year, kind of the same thing already. And depth, but the Sox have added some depth. But injuries are the biggest issue for them right now. And that's the scary part. So I just really hope that they could work it out. If they stay someone healthy, or if everybody could come back healthy by June or July, then you're talking great things. See, that's the one thing, too. In baseball, many of you know this, you need chemistry. Maybe in every sport, yes, but specifically baseball. You got eight guys behind you if you're a pitcher trying to help you out. You got a team. It's a team sport. You need chemistry between your teammates. You need to understand and have a flow of the game. Have a flow and understanding of who's playing with you. When you have different guys coming in all the time because of injuries, that's going to disrupt the flow and disrupt the mojo your team has. The Sox need everybody healthy by June or July, ideally. Ideally. And they need to play together and play good baseball from July on. See, last year, they collapsed at the end of the year. And they had a great stretch in May and June. Then for the rest of the year, kind of played 500 ball, and that was their record. Learning experience, progress for the team, sure, but they didn't get to where they wanted to get to, or where fans wanted them to get to. Everybody wanted and clamored for World Series. And while it could have happened, potentially, it didn't. Injuries and the learning experience of this team, being young, hurt them. This year, same manager, same core, one of the same roster, same players. But they've endured more experience overcoming adversity, injuries, and dealing with pretty much inexperience, really. So now all this has changed. They have more experience. They have new players, but some of the old ones too. This should be a quality baseball team. There is no reason why they don't win this division and why they don't at least win one playoff series. That would be a disappointment. If the Sox cannot win a playoff series like the LDS or the wild card, we got a problem. We really do. The Sox spent a lot of money, believe it or not. This is the highest payroll in White Sox history, contrary to what people want to say. You could say Jerry Reinsdorf spends no money. This is the highest payroll in White Sox history. This is a combination of young guys and veterans, proven veterans, who are making good money. The investment has been made. The expectations are there. Something needs to give. We need to see results. And I don't blame them for what happened last year, dealing with injuries, dealing with inexperience. That's not my thing. But the problem is, don't have that happen again. Injuries are going to be common. We understand it. Overcome them. You know how to now. You have the same manager. You have the same management. 
Same GM. Maybe moves are made near the trade deadline, too. There are a lot of variables still out there, but this team has to do something this year. Something to show growth. Something to show that, hey, they are the core. They will be good. These are the things that scare me. I think, personally, they're a lock to win the division. They're a lock to win one playoff series. But all these confounding factors could hurt them, could derail them, could make sure they don't make it anywhere. That's the scary part. That's something you have to watch out for if you're a Sox fan. Will the injuries derail them? Will the injuries cause them problems? Can they overcome them? Can they not repeat what happened last year? Leave last year in the past. Last year, first year with the core, trying to learn one another, learn how to win. I mean, that's part of it, learning how to win. And they learn the hard way. Can they recover? Can they improve? That's what we have to find out. We'll find out during the year, but that's going to determine how far they make it in the postseason and how well they do. And what their success is going to look like now and even into the future. This is year two of this core. Something has to get better. Hey, the Cubs in year two, they won the World Series. I'm not saying comparable to them, but they won the World Series. The Sox just have to show improvement. Maybe some more regular season wins, some less dwindling of performance near the end of the year, and a playoff series win, that would be great. But a World Series shouldn't be out of the question either. And that was said a number of times. Rick Hunt already said they're still aiming for the World Series. Nothing's changed in their approach. They're spending more money. They've brought in more players. They have their core. We all should be expecting something big from this team. And if they don't, that's going to be a disappointment. Yes. Last year, first year, I write it off personally. Not a disappointment. This year, though, if they don't get further, if they don't show improvement, that will be a disappointment. And it will throw up doubt in me about how good this core really is and how good this team is. But right now, based on talent, based on potential, based on what they have going for them and expectations, I like the White Sox chances. I just hope injuries and inexperience doesn't get in the way. More to come here on Sports Talk Chicago. My interview with Casey Johnson comes up next, so stay tuned. Sports Talk Chicago. Every John's of and we are back and ready for today's special guest. He's covered the Bulls for 30-plus years. Today serves as the Bulls Insider, NBC Sports Chicago. Please welcome Casey Johnson to the program. Casey, it's great to have you on. How are you? What's going on, John? How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for being here. What's going on with the Bulls right now? <laughs> it's not good. Uh, you know, we're just uh, having this conversation at our shop over at NBC Sports Chicago. What's funny is if this season had kind of flipped and, you know, that, that hot start was happening now and you're, you know, ascending to the sixth seed and a 45, 46 win season, fans would be going crazy because of how bad this team's been the last five years. Um, but, you know, the fact that it started out and raised expectations, they were leading the East for as long as they did. And now, you know, not only are they losing to me, they're, these losses are, are fairly non-competitive. Um, it's just, it's leaving, you know, uh, a sour taste in, in a lot of fans' mouth. And, and really it's hard to analyze you know, what, what's real? Was that other stuff real or was this, this stuff real? Um, you know, I know that they haven't been whole for a lot of this season. And I know now with Lonzo being ruled out for the rest of the playoffs, that's a significant loss. But, 
your your main three players are Nikola Vucevic, DeMar DeRozan, and Zach Levine, and they still are out there. Um, Levine, obviously, albeit uh, not at quite 100% with that knee situation, but it's 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 troubling. You'd, you'd like to think that that they can maybe find a switch for the playoffs because uh, this is an important experience for the franchise, given where it's been since 2017. But right now, you don't have a lot to uh, hang your hat on in terms of how they're playing at both ends, really. So what's been hurting them in all these high-stakes games? Why did they lose the big games but win the easier ones? Well, Don- Billy Donovan, I thought, had a really good point last night. Um, you know, he's been kind of hammering this theme about understanding what it takes to, you know, compete at the level that these elite teams compete at. And he talked about winning the margins. And what he means by that is, you know, the intensity and competitiveness that you need to bring to every possession in terms of fighting over every screen, diving for every loose ball, um, boxing out on every time, getting back on defense every time, uh, shot fake discipline, game plan, following the game plan discipline, et cetera. And it's just like the level of specificity and intensity you need to bring to every one of those elements. That's what the margins means. And that's what he says the good teams do. They win the margins. And in, in the cases of the recent games, you know, the teams like the Celtics and the Bucks, they're de- not only winning the margins, they're dominating the margins. And that's why it's a blowout loss. So, I mean, the Bulls obviously have talent. I mean, I mentioned those three players. I mean, those are three really, really good basketball players. But in order to to win at the at the level that these elite teams are winning, you need to, to you know, win the margins. And right now the Bulls are, are not doing that. What do you expect for them come playoff time if they can't beat these winning teams? I mean, my expectations are incredibly low. I mean, at this point, I think, you know, would a sweep surprise me? No. Would If they win one game, uh, you know, I can see that happening. Uh, this 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 maybe would answer your question better. Like, if, if they won two or more games in a series, I'd be surprised. I mean, that's just the the level of um, play that, that I'm witnessing right now. And it's, it's disappointing because – you know, as I said um, earlier that, you know, they raise expectations with their own style of play and their own, um, you know, success earlier in the season. And again, it is, it's a very hard season to judge because you want to give them the benefit of the doubt that if they had stayed whole, that level of play could have continued. But as the season has progressed, you know, a light's been kind of shined on, you know, some areas of deficiency um, and that, you either need to be addressed with better play or some personnel moves this offseason. How do you evaluate this season? If they go into the playoffs and get swept or lose a couple of games, but they still put up this about 500 record and made it, what do you say it is? A success or what is it? Yeah, I mean, I, I still would probably pause for a broader perspective and just talk about, you know, as we know, when this regime took over, the Bulls had not only uh, had trouble winning, but they had kind of faded from relevancy in the league. They weren't drawing as well as they're typically drawing. They weren't really considered a, a desirable franchise. Um, you know, the league-wide perception had dropped off. So in that sense, they are relevant again. I mean, their attendance is back, you know, near the top of the league, if not at the top of the league. Um, you know, they've obviously acquired high-level players, big-name players, and it's a – you know, managerial regime that that engenders respect. They're they're well connected. They have relationships throughout the league. So all that stuff remains. And you do need to at least acknowledge it is their first postseason appearance since 2017. So that's all on the plus side. 
But as I said before, what's making this season difficult to, to judge is just, it's not only that they're losing, it's that they're non-competitive losses. And so you need to see how the playoffs play out before I can fully answer that question. Um, you know, if they get swept and it's four blowout losses, eh, then you got you, you to gotta maybe dial down the perspective and say, okay, this was all fool's gold earlier in the season. Again, you know, without Lonzo, that, that adds one caveat. But um, I, I, as you know, I've been doing this a long time, and this, this has been one of the more puzzling seasons for, for me to figure out because of just the disparity between what you saw earlier in the season and, and what you're seeing now. A.C. Johnson here on Sports Talk Chicago. Who's been the bigger surprise of the season, though? Something positive. Uh, I would go with Lonzo Ball. Um, and I know we only saw him for 35 games, but I was talking about this with a scout um, that I know a couple days ago that he's one of those players you probably appreciate um, on a limited level when you see him once or twice a year in person, a handful of times on a league pass. But when you see him every night, well, I shouldn't say every night because he only appeared in 35 games, but <laughs> when you see him over an extended uh, period of time, you recognize his value. And really at both ends, I, I think there's this misperception that, you know, he, he he's when his absence has really impacted the Bulls defense. And that's uh, legitimate and significant. But offensively, he is really critical to a team uh, because he's and all credit goes to him. He's developed into not just a knockdown shooter. I would call him borderline elite. I mean, he was shooting over 42% from three point range on over seven attempts a game. That's, that's significant volume. It, very impressive percentage. And, um, you know, beyond his shooting ability, his ability to push pace, to serve as a connecting piece, um, to make full court passes that nobody else really even can see, um, he's just so crucial to you, how your team wants to play offensively, both in the half court and in transition. So uh, I would say he's probably surprised me the most. I think earlier this season you asked me that, and my answer was DeMar DeRozan, just because I did not expect a guy to be having a all-NBA level season in year 13. Uh, but um, he's certainly going to be in that conversation for all-NBA still. But I think he's kind of tailed off a little bit down the stretch here. Um, so I would probably give the nod to Lonzo Ball. What's made DeRozan so good here? I think it's a combination of things. He's um, just reached a place in his career where he's really comfortable in his own skin. Uh, it's the uh, experience that he's gained, um, the knowledge that he's gained, the evolution of his game, you know, moving into a playmaker role as well. Um uh, you know, he's always been a guy that's been able to get to his spots and, and been elite in mid-range. Um, but and he's also always been a, a, a very strong clutch performer. But his ability to to do those things and um, you know be in a place where he's it, it's where he chose to go. Um, he's very comfortable here. Uh, he's you know his skill set meshes very well with Zach Levine, even though there were question marks about that fit. So I think it's just a confluence of factors. Um, but uh, the biggest thing is just you, you, if you deal with him and, or talk to him and you hear teammates talk about this, he's just got this calming presence. And I think it's just a guy that's really reached this point of his career and he's just found comfort and peace um, with his own game and his own standing in the game. And I think he's putting all that experience to, uh, to practice on the court. Did you expect him and Zach Levine to work as well as they have? Uh, I actually 
I mean, I'm not sure maybe to this level, but I, I was definitely not in the camp that was questioning the fit because I really felt like the Bulls were in a position last offseason when they acquired DeRozan that they simply just needed to upgrade their talent base. And there's no question that DeMar DeRozan is an extremely talented player. So I focused less on, oh, can they coexist together? And just more like, man, the Bulls got a great player. That's that's That can only be a positive. Uh, I will say... You know, I, I've been a pretty staunch Levine defender uh, for those who call him a selfish player. So I did see, you know, him fitting in that sense because he is a very willing passer. Both he and DeMar are both elite scorers, but they're also willing to, you know, move the ball if they're getting double teamed. Um, so I, I, I was optimistic that they would play well together. I don't think anybody would have envisioned that they'd play this well together. Um, and you know, Levine's end to his season is kind of hard to judge too, because he's not right. And, you know, it's, it's very open and transparent about that situation. He's probably going to need some sort of procedure, um, with his knee this, this off season, although that's not, you know, scheduled or confirmed yet, but it just certainly seems like it's trending that way. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, that's the thing is like, as disappointing as the end of the season has been, you still are, you still have that as a base. You still have those. Well, assuming that Zach is back, he is an unrestricted free agent, but um, you still have that as a base moving forward if Zach is in, indeed, uh, you know, inking here this offseason. What's the likelihood that the Bulls extend him? Well, I think from the Bulls' perspective, it's a no-brainer. I mean, you've kind of put yourself in this situation where that's what you're kind of building towards. He's part of your core. You've identified that. Um, you know, you, you do have the ability to pay him more than any other team and also for longer if you choose that route you know there is a trend in today's nba for stars to take shorter deals to hit free agency faster so i'm not saying zach will agree to a five-year deal but the bulls can put that on the table if that's something they want to do um i've all along thought you know he, he likes living in chicago he likes representing the bulls he he respects billy donovan he he loves uh management regime he 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 likes playing with demar um so I think from a Bulls perspective, it's a no-brainer. You know, every indication I've gotten from Zach is that he he is happy here. But I always say about free agency, you, you never, you know, it can take unexpected twists and turns. You have to see how it plays out. Um, but I all along have expected Zach to be here long-term. What about the core aspect? Like, for example, uh, DeMar DeRozan is going to be under contract for two more years. Vucevic is kind of nearing the end of it as well. Do you think Zach Levine could be worried about that, knowing that the core could kind of be broken up in a couple of years and the fact that this collapse happened this year? It's a valid question. And, you know, that, you know, that's why I say it's not a done deal. I mean, you can't say, oh, yeah, he's definitely going to be back. I mean, I, I expect him to be back. But what I would say to that is he can choose the length of security that he wants here, you know, because he has that power as the unrestricted free agent. And then what I would also say is, you're right in the sense that DeRozan's up in two years and Vucevic is up in one year, but all I've heard from Levine is his praise for this uh, management team. And so he would have to then be putting his trust in them to either figure out a way to, you know, turn those expiring deals into assets or resign them on the right terms, et cetera, et cetera. He has to have belief in their ability to construct a winning roster around him. Um, so, and I, that's all I've heard from him to this point. Um, but we'll see how it plays out this off season. What other needs should the Bulls address this year in the off season? Yeah. You know, that, that's a good question because, you know, in theory, this Vucevic acquisition, you know, seemed like it was the right move and, and fit, but 
there are some question marks being raised about it. I mean, it do, does seem like they suffer at times for rim protection. And, um, you know, Vucevic is such a skilled player, but, um, you know, the, the Bulls are undersized with rim protection in terms of traditional rim protection. And then also his inability or his struggles to, to be a lead in, in pick and roll were offset by Ball and Caruso's, you know, elite point of attack defense early in the season, but as that's faded away, you know, Vucevic's defensive shortcomings have been uh, in, uh, exposed a little bit further. So I would, you know, if you do make a significant move, I would think that he, especially because he's only got one year left on his deal, would be the logical place to, to look or start. Um, but as far as needs, I mean, you know, they, they definitely still need more shooting um, and they definitely need more rim protection. Do you think if Vucevic was a better rim protector, would things be different as far as how the season went? I mean, I don't want to put it all on him because I think, like I said, the roster construction, you can see the vision that they had is that I thought Vucevic was actually having a very good season defensively early in the season because he is a responsible team defender and he's an elite defensive rebounder. So Ball and Caruso's presence to me kind of hid his weaknesses. And as those guys have fallen off in terms of absences and then, Caruso isn't quite making the same impact because he's playing through a back issue. Um, you know, the, the Bulls defense in general has struggled and, and Vucevic is a significant part of that. But, you know, Vucevic has just not had as good of a season as he's had in, in the past couple of years. I mean, he's sh- struggled to shoot the ball from three. Um, he says night, he's had nights where he's, you know, lost his individual matchup. I mean, Brooke Lopez the other night, you know, dominated that matchup. So, um, you know, I don't, it's, 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 he's such a skilled player. You can see why he fits and you can see why Arturis, you know, who I, I don't want to, I want to make clear. I'm not saying that, that Vooch is Jokic light because he's not, nobody's like Jokic, but you can see, I mean, he came from Denver where he saw Jokic, you know, be the big man where you could run off and through and serve as a connecting piece. And, and Vucevic has that skill set, And he also is, or has been an elite shooter at times but he's just he's he's dropped off a little bit this year so um you know he's been the first to admit that he's he's struggled at times this year and uh you know they they have a chance to try to get it right in the playoffs let me ask you this who specifically would you like to see the Bulls go after or bring in to help out the team well I you know I don't know if these people are available but I mean if you're talking about uh you know laundry list of perfect fits I mean DeAndre Ayton, I, I don't see how Phoenix lets that guy go, particularly if they win a championship, but, you know, he didn't reach an extension last summer, and that that would be, like, the perfect fit. You've got a, a elite rim protector who's, um, you know, just such a solid two-way player. Um, you know, that, that would be that would be kind of the, the pie-in-the-sky list. You know, as for t- terms of guys that are get- gettable or potentially gettable, you're starting to hear, you know, issues in Utah and they certainly have dropped off this season. Does, does that make Rudy Gobert available? I mean, he's got a cumbersome contract in terms of just how long it lasts and how lucrative it is, but you know, you can't get much more elite rim protection than that. So, you know, I've always told you, John, I'm not a good GM, um, but uh, (laughs) that's their, that's their pay. That's their pay grade. But if you're talking about fits, I mean, those two guys would be, would be certainly upgrades in terms of rim protection. What to come with King Steve Johnson in just a moment. Stay tuned. Thanks, James. Sports Talk Chicago.
AC Johnson still here on Sports Talk Chicago. You know, you're a play-by-play announcer, too. Maybe you're not a GM, but you are a play-by-play announcer. Why don't you tell me about how that all came up? Well, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a little, little dated at this point because it was New Year's Eve. But, yeah, so Adam Amin, uh, right before tip-off in Indiana, afternoon game, uh, had a little issue with his testing. Uh, teams were getting tested more regularly then. And as a as a broadcaster, he's tested – or what at that point was getting tested, I believe daily. I, I don't want to speak for Adam, but that was my understanding. And as an independent reporter um, who also works for NBC Sports Chicago, I was not getting tested daily. So he had a little issue with his testing and uh, uh, was not able to start the broadcast. Uh, what makes the story even crazier is the very supremely talented broadcaster, Robbie Hummel, was also making his NBA television debut. He had done a couple of games on radio with Chuck Swirsky and obviously his lights out on the college basketball uh, broadcasting scene, but had never called an NBA game on TV before. So our producer got in our ear and informed us about Adam's situation. It was only a handful of minutes before tip off. And for some ridiculous reason, I said, I'll do the play by play. I think I did it partly. I think I did it partly because uh, I wanted to, free Robbie up to kind of be in his role that he's comfortable in, even though I had only met Robbie very briefly to that point. In fact, before we went to um, air, uh, he actually asked me right before tip off, like as the producer was counting us down, is it Casey or KC? Cause he didn't even know what my <laughs> name was. So there's a, uh, there's the familiarity that, that, uh, that he and I were working on, but uh, I just, I, I've equated to driving through a rainstorm. I gripped the steering wheel and uh, did not look anywhere but straight ahead. I did not check my rear view mirror. I did not check my side mirrors. I I grabbed the, uh, the steering wheel tight and I ended up doing a radio call for a television broadcast. But uh, it was a hell of an experience. I, I had a blast doing it. Um, and I think if I that opportunity that opportunity will never happen again because it was a perfect storm of events. But if it did. I think I'd I think I'd slow down and, and enjoy it a little bit more. I, I definitely enjoyed it after the fact, but during it I was just uh focused on uh the experience itself. And and Robbie made it a lot easier because he's so good at what he does. And the last thing I'll say is I am proud that I did not get one name wrong, and that involved some uh <laughs> 10 day and hardship signings on the Pacers that I had previously never heard of. So at least I got my names right. So there you go. Have you practiced since then or not really gonna stick to writing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'll do right into my uh, short little uh, in-game hits with Adam and Stacy on on our network. So that, that's 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 definitely my speed. So there you go, Casey. Before we finish up today, last question: Who's your favorite bull you've ever covered? Uh I don't want to name just one uh, because there's been so many great ones. I, I I think this is pretty well documented, but I've I've always felt a very strong connection to. Um, Jamal Crawford, just because, you know, I, I had him as a rookie and uh, he's so uh, accessible and great with the media, which you're now seeing as he's moving into a media career. Um, and, you know, it, I always say, like, people have asked me, like, are you friends with the players? And the, the answer is ultimately no, because your job is to be objective. But just in any walk of life, you meet people and you just feel a connection with them, regardless of what your job is or what have you. And Jamal is just someone that, you know, uh, when I met him, he and I just like clicked on like a human level for some reason. And we've, we've stayed in touch throughout the years. You know, he's somebody that if I texted or called right now, he'd get back to me right away. 
Um, just a great guy. And uh, so, I mean, but there are, there are many, many people, uh, you know, I've, I've said Joakim Noah is probably my favorite athlete to cover because of, you know, his, his uh, emotion and his intensity and his honesty and his wearing his, his feelings on his sleeve and he very smart, very intelligent, very worldly. So, but there, there, I could, I could name 10 players, but Joakim was probably my favorite athlete to cover, but Jamal is just someone I probably connected with, you know, just on the human level more closely than anybody. Casey, thank you so much for joining me. Always appreciate the time. Best wishes for this playoff run, I guess. I hope they could win a couple of games, but looking forward to the next time we chat too. All right, John. Always good to talk to you, man. Great talk there with Casey Johnson, and that'll do it for us today here on Sports Talk Chicago. Big thank you to Casey Johnson himself, Matt Tubio, WCKG, Jim DeTalbin, to Marlboro Entertainment making this show a success. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook. John Zaglul, you can watch more of this show. Search up Sports Talk Chicago, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, sportstalkchicago.com. Another great show comes with tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening. Till then, stay safe. So long, everyone. No! No! Where are the turtles?